Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, a.k.a. Triumvir Clio. Welcome back, everyone. I'm not as far ahead in writing these as I once was. We'll see if I can keep up the pace I've set for myself. That's the joy of being a freelancer. The amount of work I have on any given week fluctuates. So I'm only about a week ahead right now, meaning that it's turning into summer here in Michigan, COVID-19 restrictions are loosening, and there are lots of protests going on. Since I spend at least part of every day with my septuagenarian parents, and in light of the ongoing pandemic, I'm not able to join the protest right now. Otherwise, I would definitely be there. And since I've brought it up, race. I haven't really talked about race in ancient Greece because it wasn't a thing. Race as we know it today didn't exist when Homer or Aeschylus or Sophocles or Hesiod was writing. And let's face it, if race were a thing in ancient Greece, Hesiod would have had something to say about it. Probably along the lines of everything he has to say about women and cities and boats. Now, when we get to Herodotus, race may be something we want to discuss, but it still won't be race in the same colonial way we see it today. Our modern ideas surrounding race based on skin color are just that, modern. But that doesn't mean that we can't learn from the ancient ideas of race based on geography. Um, But it is going to be a while before we get to the ancient historians. Probably, unless I'm totally nuts and start doing the historians when I finish the Power of Myth series, which... Maybe if I'm not too busy with work that pays me a living as opposed to this passion project. I don't know about you, but I'm definitely feeling the relevance of some of these writings as I reread them today. If you have thoughts on what you'd like me to cover, please go to the blog. The first post should be pinned to the homepage, and that's where I've asked people to comment with general requests, comments, thoughts, etc. Okay, and with that lengthy, rambling introduction, let's get back to the Iliad. We are up to book 14, and when we left off last week, the Trojans had brought the battle to the Greeks. And, well, we're still there. Oh, and Zeus took a break, and Poseidon decided to direct the war. Yet, that's all still going on, too. When book 14 opens, Nestor is in his tent drinking wine and talking to Makaon. Uh, Hearing the noise from outside, he tells Makaon to just keep drinking and to let Hecamede draw him a bath and dress his wounds while he himself goes to check out how the battle is going. And outside he finds Diomedes, Odysseus, and Agamemnon all were nursing the wounds they received in book 13. Agamemnon berates Nestor for having left the fighting and then expresses his concern that Hector won't go back to Troy until he set the Greek ships on fire. Nestor counsels that it's the will of the gods and that it is now time for them to use their wits because wounded men can't keep fighting. Agamemnon suggests that maybe it's time to cut and run. Odysseus, in no small words, tells Agamemnon that this is not a good idea. Diomedes raises his hand and says, Okay, Boomer, I know you think I'm just a kid, and maybe I am, but I've descended from some pretty cool people, and I know that we can still be great leaders even though we're hurt. Oh, and in case you're wondering, this speech is about 20 lines long. He gives his full lineage. I left all of those details out. But his speech is convincing, and everyone agrees that they aren't hurt that badly, and maybe they can go and be leaders again. Poseidon sees this and decides to buck up Agamemnon. He appears to him in the form of an old man and tells him that Achilles is heartless and must be really happy to see how the Greeks are being slaughtered, because that's helpful. But then he says that Achilles will get what he deserves, and so will Troy, which is a little more helpful. 
Meanwhile, Hira decides to help Poseidon by um, distracting Zeus. The following passage is long and could be called the Aristia of Hera. Like an Aristia, it starts by describing how Hera gets dressed and the provenance of everything that she puts on. But unlike an Aristia, Hera is off to make love, not war. And to do so, she goes to everyone's favorite goddess of love, Aphrodite. Hera tells Aphrodite that she's on a mission to reconcile Oceanus and Tethys. Whether or not Aphrodite believes her, she obliges with love potion number nine. Okay, not really. It's a fancy belt. Then Hera goes to visit Sleep and asks him to put Zeus to sleep for her. Sleep doesn't think this is a very good idea, but Hera reminds him that as the goddess of marriage, she can hook him up with, with Pasithea, one of the graces. Sleep makes her swear on the sticks that she'll do this, and then he agrees to put Zeus to sleep. Sleep hides while Hera seduces Zeus. Say that five times fast. Seduces Zeus, seduces Zeus, seduces Zeus, seduces Zeus. <laughs> and it's quite the seduction. She pretends that she's busy, and then she protests that everyone can see them. And it really is all a pretense, since this is exactly why she's gone to see Zeus. This is one of the few times in Greek lit that we know for certain that a woman, despite her actions during the encounter, really does consent. Zeus creates a golden cloud to hide them, and then Hera keeps Zeus some busy until sleep comes over him. The deed done, Sleep hurries to tell Poseidon that the cat's away, or at least asleep. Poseidon then urges the Greeks to fight harder, and they do. And then we're back to what we saw in the last book. Big Ajax and Hector face off but are unable to kill each other, and their duel ends when Big Ajax throws a boulder at Hector. It doesn't kill him, but that's probably only because he's fated to die later. But it hurts. A lot. It's not looking well. The Trojans pull Hector off the field, but the battle rages on, led on by the Iontes. Yes, little Ajax is still with us, as is big Ajax. We get many more descriptions of people getting killed, and the book ends by telling us that little Ajax killed the most. I hate it when Homer does that. It really messes up with tallying body counts. What themes do we have running through book 14? If you're a student and need to write a literary analysis, you can't go wrong with writing about book 14. The primary section is about Hera's seduction of Zeus. And this domestic scene is a great foil for all of the battle scenes in the rest of the book and the epic as a whole. I already said that it could be called the Aristia of Hera. And if you want to talk about that or write about it, I included it as a discussion prompt in the blog. The part that I'm going to focus on here is the fight between Big Ajax and Hector. They keep facing off. We've already seen uh, the duel that ends because they ran out of daylight. And you'll recall that that's how Big Ajax is able to use Hector's sword when he kills himself um, in the Sophocles play. But they just can't seem to kill each other. And if you read the description of Hector's wounds at the end of the duel here in book 14, it sounds, well, fatal. 
any other individual would be dead, but not Hector. And now, I already said that maybe it's because of fate, but is this the reason? Is there some other reason that Hector and Big Ajax can't kill each other? I can't think of another reason. So does this mean that Big Ajax is destined to be driven mad by Athena? What a world to live in where such horrible things are considered to be fate. But does this mean that the ancient Greeks reading or listening to the Iliad believed that they themselves lacked free will? And what does this tell us about ourselves? Or what should it tell us about ourselves? Do we have the free will to change our fates? I like to think so. Please come and share your thoughts about Hera or Hector or fate. The link to the blog is, as always, in the show notes. On Friday, we'll look at episode three of The Power of Myth. Until then, take care, stay safe, fight the good fight, and I'll talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.